Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us every week as we break down an issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now, but also what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. 2023 has seen a pretty sharp increase in migrants trying to make it to Europe. In fact, the United Nations puts the number so far at 159,000. That's a 77% increase on last year's numbers. Tragically, it's also one of the deadliest years on record, with at least 2,307 people dying on the journey. So why are we seeing this big jump and what does it mean for Europe? Well, to find out, Keith is here to explain it all. Hi, Keith. Hi. Why are we seeing so many migrants risking their lives to get to Europe at the moment? Yes, um, I'm looking at a document produced by the Soufane Centre in New York, which writes some very good stuff. And they've given us a number of different explanations for this huge movement of people. So one is the whole issue of war and conflict in sub-Saharan Africa and the Middle East and North Africa region, including perhaps Syria, as well as Central Asia, which would, of course, include Afghanistan. Mm. So you've got the whole issue of conflict, which is underway. You've also got violent extremism in places like the Sahel region, which is the northern part of Africa, the desert region. And that conflict is sort of moving people around as well. You've also got number three, political upheaval in Tunisia, Pakistan, and even a place like Senegal, which was traditionally very quiet, and Niger, Mm. which is a former French colony ruled by one family for many, many years. But that's now fallen into chaos. The family has been removed from power. And then uh, number four, you've got economic volatility and systemic poverty. So people are just so poor, they're having to move. Number five, you've got the whole issue of food insecurity. Mm. And this is where, if you like, we're looking at the global implications of the Russian invasion of Ukraine in February of last year. Because what we could say is that the world's largest grain exporter has invaded the world's fourth largest grain exporter. It's not a problem for us in Australia. In fact, we're exporting more grain. We're filling the vacuum. But if you're a country that has traditionally relied on Russia or Ukraine, particularly Ukraine, for the supply of grain, you're not getting that. Mm. And so there is food insecurity as well. And then number six, the whole issue of climate change, which is very controversial because trying to work out a direct relationship between the decline in the climate and the increase in conflict. I accept that there is a a link Mm. The more problems we're going to have with climate, the more people you'll have on the move. What would the link, sorry, what would the link with climate be? Is it like rising temperatures in Rising temperatures, loss of good arable land, might have flooding. Sure. So these are all issues where the environment has an impact, Mm. which can lead to, well, for example, if your own land becomes impossible to cultivate, then you move to another piece of land which you can cultivate, but that's owned by other people. Yes, it's my suddenly moving into your house. Uh, <laughs> this is the problem that you've got. People yeah. are, are resisting yeah. the, the mass movement of people. Now, it's the Europeans who are complaining about the mass movement of people into Europe, but you've already got 
a mass movement of people within Africa itself mm. as people are looking for good arable land or a safe place to live. Mm. What's the route that they're taking? Because this is part of factor of why it's so deadly is this Mediterranean route, correct? So they're going, yep. So they're going over, the, they're going across the Mediterranean. You can't walk around, if you like, the eastern end of the Mediterranean, which will take you through Israel, which mm. has its own issues. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're already living north of Israel and Lebanon, then, like Syria, you can then move across into Europe. And we had in 2015 an even worse asylum-seeking crisis. Yeah. So they were literally able to walk from Syria to Berlin. It's a long journey, but people would, were making that journey. The countries in Europe have now sort of come together. The nature of the conflict has changed in Syria, so we're not getting quite such large numbers. So instead, people are now trying to sail across the the Mediterranean. If you can go through Libya and get onto the island of Lampedusa, which is an Italian island right off the Libyan coast. Remember, Italy was the former imperial power of Libya. The Italians still control Lampedusa. So if you can get onto that, then technically you've just arrived in the European Union. Mm -hmm. Now, when Colonel Gaddafi ran Libya, nobody wanted to get near it. Mm But then uh, a few years ago, the Americans and the British and the French removed Colonel Gaddafi. This was the time of the Arab Spring, a decade ago. He was threatening to murder a lot of his own people. And so there was this, well, they said, the responsibility to protect. In other words, because the Libyan government was not protecting its own people and indeed was threatening to kill them, it was necessary for international intervention. And so the UN Security Council authorised that. And so they had this um, surprise strike on Colonel Gaddafi. And ultimately, he was removed from power and was murdered by one of the uh, warring groups. Now, that has meant that Libya has not had a stable government since Colonel Gaddafi moved out. This is one of the ironies of global politics, that the strong men, and they tend to be always men, the strong men can give you order. Mm-hmm. You know, like Saddam Hussein in Iraq. You know, Saddam Hussein was convinced that the Americans would never invade Iraq because if you don't have a strong man running Iraq, the country will fall into chaos. Mm-hmm. And he, he thought George Bush wouldn't, wouldn't have a, a chaotic Iraq. Instead, George Bush thought, oh, those Iraqis really want to behave like Americans. They want free elections, etc." So totally misunderstood Iraqi culture. Yeah. you know, and led to the destruction of the country. Mm. And unfortunately, they went on to do the same thing in Libya. Yeah. So Libya is controlled by different warlords covering different areas. But it means if you're a desperate person in Africa, or even perhaps Afghanistan, Pakistan, that is your escape route into Europe. Mm-hmm. You go through this chaos in Libya and then try to create across the Mediterranean, either to Lampedusa or even onto the area of southern Italy, or perhaps Greece, that's another way of getting across the Mediterranean, just getting into the European Union. That's the holy grail. Yeah. Getting into the EU, and there, thereby you'll be able to, you hope, be able to be accepted as an asylum seeker. Mm. And so that's why there are these new routes that are opening up. And if we have more political chaos in, say, Tunisia, then again, that provides the opportunity for people to pass through another North African country getting onto boats in the Mediterranean with the aim of getting across to Italy or perhaps from Tunisia, it'll be the south of France. Mm. Why are we seeing this route become increasingly deadly? Is it simply the boats they're using, the people that are on them 
generally can't swim and, you know, they just run into disaster. Well, it's a large number to start with. So we've got this mass movement that's underway. So we've got bigger numbers to start with. But as you say, a lot of them can't swim. They're, they're, well, for a start, they're not dressed in swimming costumes, yeah, right? They're, they're wearing thick fabrics, so they get into the water and, and they just drown. The total number of people who've died would be much larger than the official statistics. All they're able to do is to count the bodies. Mm. But there are a lot of bodies that don't float ashore. That's right. And just sink to the bottom. They're obviously not dressed. They're not trained to swim. I've noticed that one of the other problems is piracy. Now, piracy is a, has always been a problem when you've got mass movement of people. We saw that with the Vietnamese fleeing to get out of Vietnam. And then you had rape, pillage and murder out on the high seas. Mm. This time around, the pirates obviously steal mobile phones. They steal whatever money the asylum seekers would be carrying on those boats. But they also steal the engines. Oh. which is an interesting innovation. Yeah. So they steal the engines, so the boats just cruise based on the currents that are in the Mediterranean. And the people who are trapped on board are obviously hoping for a passing passenger ship or a merchant vessel of some sort to just winch them aboard. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suda, and this week we're discussing the deadly migrant crisis in Europe and what it means for the region. Now, on that, Keith, survivors of a shipwreck in mid-June that saw at least 600 people die, they've blamed the Greek Coast Guard for the disaster. They say that repeated attempts to tow the boat led to the ship capsizing. To me, it led to a question of how countries in Europe are responding to the migrant crisis. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, so the European countries are just overwhelmed by the sheer numbers that are trying to reach their shore. And, of course, the arrival of asylum seekers becomes a hot political issue. Mm. So we're seeing in the United Kingdom now a campaign to stop the boats. Right. Uh, interestingly, that phrase came from Australia yep. and the British government is being advised by an Australian political advisor. So we're getting a recycling of those slogans, even though... The number arriving in Britain is fairly small compared to what you see in Italy and Greece. The problem is that the asylum seekers then trigger a right-wing reaction. So if you're in government in Italy or Greece or perhaps any of the ones along the southern Mediterranean, your risk is that you'll end up with extremists saying we've, we've got to get into power to stop these people from coming ashore. And that means towing them back out to sea mm. and making life difficult for the European non-governmental organisations that try to rescue people at sea. So what are some of the... Are we seeing this issue discussed in parliaments in Europe? Are they using it as a bit of a political bugbear to rile people yeah. up? Yeah, exactly. The asylum seeker issue has become, well, a bit like Australia, really becomes a political football. Mm. And right-wing groups can see opportunities to score points against governments and also recruit new members, et cetera, and adds to people's sense of insecurity. There is a basic failing with the theory of, of refugees, this notion of sort of human solidarity, this belief that we saw after World War I when we start to address the whole issue of refugees with the breakup of those giant European empires in Europe itself, particularly Austro-Hungarian Empire, mm. and then parts of the old German Empire that you then ended up with people being scattered and the League of Nations, as it was then, took on the whole task of looking after refugees. 
That was based on this very idealistic assumption that people would see everybody else on the move as members of the human family, and therefore you need to look after your family. Yeah. Now, there might be an element of that idealism still existing in the world. You see it, obviously, in European non-governmental organizations that are concerned about refugees. But in most cases, most people are saying, we want to look after ourselves. We don't want to have an influx of all of these troublemaking asylum seekers. Mm. Keep them out of the country. And you get politicians who are saying, vote for me and we'll stop the boats. Well, I wanted to ask you the comparison between how European nations are dealing with it and how Australia dealt with it a few years back when, yeah, I think it was Peter Dutton who's big catch cry was we're going to stop the boats. Or was it Scott Morrison? And Scott Morrison, yeah. John Howard. Yeah. Remember John Howard with yes. the Tampa crisis 20 years ago who said that we will decide who comes into Australia? And it worked very well. He looked like he was going to lose the next election. He had just introduced the goods and services tax. Mm. There is a tradition that every government that introduces a GST or value-added tax if you're in Europe, everyone who introduces it loses the next election. <laughs> in the case of Canada... The entire government practically disappeared in the election. I think they were left with two members of parliament wow. in Canada. So Howard was on the rocks, so mm. to speak, when it came to introducing the GST. And we were in the lead up to the election. And then the Tampa sailed into view. Remember, this was the ship that had picked up asylum seekers. Yeah. And it enabled John Howard to take this firm stand to stop them. I might say, by the way, that after the election, John Howard gets re-elected. They'd served their purpose. And most of those people did stay in Australia. Right, there you go. Well, I wanted to ask you as well, what is happening for the migrants when they actually arrive in Europe? Where do they go? And that's part of your other problem, just trying to resettle them. Remember, Europe has got its own range of crises to deal with, including youth unemployment. And now you've got this influx of people who perhaps do not speak fluent German or French or Italian who are now arriving in the country. And how do you absorb the people. In due course, Europe will need young labourers. It's quite clear. But the way in which these people are arriving, they're not necessarily being screened properly and are not necessarily ideal for the labour force. So you've got them living in camps, and then once they live in camps, they end up, some of them, committing crimes, which again adds to the public resistance to accepting asylum seekers. It's a very messy situation. My own view is that politicians should come clean and admit that the mass movement of peoples will be one of the biggest problems we will have in this century. For me, climate change is a major proponent of that crisis. But politicians need to educate people not to be so scared about asylum seekers mm -hmm. and at the same time make precautions to look after them. Now, the argument against making precautions to look after people if you yeah. start providing services for existing asylum seekers, it gives them an incentive for other asylum seekers to come to your country. Mm. And the people smugglers, who are very unscrupulous individuals, are very happy to exploit a country's goodwill. Mm. We've just got to find a way of having a rational debate, but it's impossible to have a rational debate over asylum seekers. Yeah, it feels that way. And I was going to say, well, can't we all agree, every country in the world that's in a position to accept migrants, can't we all say, yep, we're going to let them in, put them through the process and, you know, give them homes and places to live. But it's kind of pie in the sky, isn't it? It's, it's pie in the sky, happen. but international law. Yeah. You've got international law on your side. True. At the end of World War II, when we adopted the human rights instruments, we said that people had the right to enter and leave 
other countries. Mm. That's actually written into international law. True. Australia was one of the authors of that paragraph. And now we're seeing the consequence of it because of the huge number of people who do want to move. Mm. When the UN was created back in 1945, we had no idea what sort of world we would be ending up with 70 or so years later and the chaos that would be involved. So we've got to find a way of updating our thinking. But your idealistic thinking is what exactly motivated us back in 1945. Mm. What's changed? I think people are becoming much more individually selfish and also the... The optimism that we had at the end of World War II, I think that has evaporated. Problems seem to be far more complicated than they used to be. The breakup of the European empires meant that people are now living in individual countries. We've got more countries than the UN was designed for, just physically, Mm. at the UN building in New York. (laughs) We (laughs) were not expecting, when the building specifications were laid down in the late 1940s, They have to accommodate 200 countries in that building. It wasn't designed for it. Yeah. Is there anyone putting forward any solutions to stopping these deaths at sea Um, that doesn't involve stopping the boats? Well, as you've said, stopping the boats is the standard way. Yeah. And so the countries like Greece and and Italy are taking hardline measures to prevent them from arriving. But no one is, no country is providing long-term thinking about how we're going to deal with this. There are obviously refugee organisations, but a lot of them are just dealing with immediate issues rather than taking a long-term perspective because that's really what we need because this problem is not going to go away. No matter what you do, it's not going to go away. And it can also generate immense public anxiety. The other way, you know, you've been focusing on the stop the boat sort of thing. But if you look at the photograph of little Alan Kurdi, Mm. so he was that little boy from Syria who uh, drowned, was washed up on the Mediterranean coast. That photo helped bring down the Canadian government. Really? Yeah. That family were hoping to get to Europe Mm. and then go on to Canada. Mm. Um, And when the word came out that he had perished instead at sea, there was such a reaction against the Canadian government that it lost the election. Its effects are so far-reaching, aren't they? Absolutely. And, in fact, that photograph causes so much distress in Germany that you can't publish it too easily. Really? Yeah. I remember it. I do remember the photo. I remember murals. I think there were marches in Australia as well. Look, it's a tragic issue and it's really sad that it's happening. And like you said, someone's got to come up with a solution, otherwise it'll just keep happening. Absolutely. Thanks, Keith. Global Truths is presented by Dr. Keith Suter and me, Sasha Barber-Gatt. Audio production by Niall Fernandez. Theme and original music by Matt Nikolich.